Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefline. Each week, you'll catch us, uh, them, speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? My week has been pretty well. How was yours? Good. We're uh, T-minus three and a bit weeks away from build, and uh, things are coming in hot. So I, um, we've, been, yeah. we've been real busy. <laughs> I can only imagine what that would be like. Is it, you know, it's hard enough doing uh, a presentation or prep for a, you know just me at a conference, let alone you know with a message from the company type of stuff. So, yeah, okay. and, and I think the the challenge with the graph versus, I mean, I think every presentation that build has challenges, but is that with graph because we're representing so many services now that are on the graph there's a lot of demand to get everyone covered in the sessions that we have which they just announced so there's a list of i think 110 there of which you'll see five five graph ones and two teams ones um and a few other bits and pieces there as well so I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited, but I'm also getting overwhelmed and I've already set expectations with my wife that, um, there'll probably be a few late nights in the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, more than a few probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, I look forward to watching the build stuff. I mean, I won't be there, but it will be, uh, interesting to, uh, to certainly be, uh, watching from afar, uh, especially as the keynotes, which I would imagine Microsoft graph will have, uh, an appearance yeah. or, or so. I know there's a few people out there that play the drinking game of how often Microsoft Graft is mentioned. You're going to be drunk real early at build. <laughs> ah, that's excellent. excellent yeah, which stuff. is great for our team. It's, it's exciting to see how much traction Graft gets at Microsoft. So yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun keynote and fun few days. That's great. So, uh, the, even leading up to build here, I know we, it's been a couple of weeks since we we've chatted, but I've, I found a handful of links out of Microsoft, even in this uh, little lull between MVP summit and build. So, um, and a couple of them actually, uh, by you. So you want to kick us off there? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think people are realizing that to get traction in certain things, often not trying to compete with other things at build is a better way of going. Um, and so the, one of the ones we did this week was, uh, we've been talking about it for a while and I think we did a show on this a while back, uh, where we, we're, we've had a user voice for a while, um, for Microsoft graph, but it was a category of the office developer user voice. And, um, we only had one account, which meant that I was the only one that could go in and respond. And I was a bottleneck, which I passed off to um, a colleague, Elise, that um, kind of tackled this of reaching out to all the different services and asking them, hey, look, we've had this feature come in. Is this on the backlog? Are you already in progress with it? Is it in preview? Is it already in the product? Do you even intend to do this? And it was just becoming a time suck. And um, we... Fortunately, got marketing to fund a whole brand new user voice called microsoftgraph.uservoice.com. And we've created all the categories of services on the graph and different categories for kind of SDK stuff and different bits and pieces. But I think ultimately the best part about this is, is that each of our PMs now can log directly in with their Microsoft work account. Um, be passwordless. Woohoo. <laughs> and 
um, you know, they can go in and respond straight away and change statuses or ask follow-up questions and make them really more accountable for the requests that are in the category that they're, they're, they own. And so um, I'm hoping this makes a big difference in the way that now they have direct access to it and they can filter by their categories that it'll get them closer to doing that planning in their roadmaps at the, you know, we do six months for most of the company now uh, planning of features and then kind of ship in quarterly cycles. So um, yeah, that was, that was good news, good news this week. That was something I had as a pet peeve for when I started last year and it's literally taken that long to get budget approval, get the PO actually signed off and then to actually get the thing deployed. So yeah, it's good. So anything that you'd like to see in the Microsoft graph, we have a place to put it and I'm sure it'll be filled up with the SharePoint rest api gap closing requests uh, if it isn't already but there, uh, <laughs> there is quite a few of those uh you know like this is where is the taxonomy api on the graph and jeremy kelly kind of you know rolls his eyes <laughs> yes we know yeah but, um, exactly. it does help them you know it's the more voting the more comments that have scenario information in them so useful for us to help us with prioritization um even putting a tenant ID, which means nothing to everyone externally, but a tenant ID on a on there, I can go look it up and see how many users this will impact. Um, and so even that stuff is super useful in terms of prioritization too. Yeah, that's great. And I I saw I don't I won't go in specifics because I can't remember if I saw this at MVP Summit or on a call, but Vesa has shown user voice items and with you know votes and and discussed the plans of what's what's happening. So it certainly is a, a great way for all our listeners to get their voice into uh, the engineering team so that they know what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, don't feel like you're being a troll. Like with the more information points we have, the better. Because um, the worst thing we do is sit in a planning meeting and go, well, we only have three requests. Like I'd rather have a hundred and have to prioritize and just get three. Yeah. All right. So the next link I found was uh, kind of a big news uh, across uh, the Internet. So Microsoft Edge based on Chrome <sighs> is yes. the insider builds are out now. I I have not jumped in completely yet. I installed the weekly build on a VM and and that, <laughs> but that's primarily because I you know, I've got my links and favorites, everything all set up for the, yeah, the sprint I'm doing at work. And so I don't want to uh, tear that down mid sprint. So once I uh, wrap that up, we'll move along. So, uh, but my initial reaction is very good. I logged in with my MSA account and of course it synced up a couple of things for me. I'm really looking forward to having profiles be based on work slash school accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, later on, we'll talk about uh, another new item, but uh, I have another tenant assigned to me now. Um, and so it would be nice to switch back and forth with those using rather than just using profiles with made up names, real honest to goodness accounts. So that's good. So looking forward to that and how they recommend it. And I know you said you have the canary build, I guess, right, is what you're you're a little yeah, bit more bleeding so edge. I forget. So Joe Belfury is kind of the one that's driving this internally and externally. And I forget when we got the build internally and he sent this email explaining like, you know, it'd be great if you guys could test it internally. And so I jumped on it immediately. Um, I am traditionally a Firefox. Well, I was Chrome for a while, but not very trusting of Google these days. Um, And so I'd moved to Firefox on my machines. You know, 
and, and primarily because Edge was great, but he didn't have profiles. And so the fact that um, this Edge has profiles is amazing, but it's really fast and I've not had it crash yet. And I use it on three different machines and I've been doing that now for, I'm going to say at least two months. Um, I've uninstalled Firefox and um, you know Chrome and stuff on my machine. And sure, I work at Microsoft, so I should say that, but I genuinely mean it. Like it's been awesome. Um, it supports Google Chrome extensions as well. Um, so if you're kind of you're already using Google Chrome, there's no excuse not to try this. But um, I mean, they announced it publicly the other day, and within a day, they'd already shipped new features in it. So uh, they're not mucking around. Um, yeah, and I, I think yeah. they're looking to announce some jazzy number at Build to say how many. Hundreds of thousands of people are using it. Would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the there is a daily build available outside of Microsoft, right? So if you just go to Microsoft Edge Insider.com, you can choose whether you want the daily Canary build or a weekly one. So everyone can get into that. Good, real good stuff. And it's kind of not part of the Windows install. It's a separate thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, and there, are, if you go digging in the settings pages, it'll give you a bunch of clues about what other platforms this is coming to real soon too, <laughs> which I'm extremely excited about. Yeah. Yes. That uh, would be. And there is a dark mode switch that went crazy on Twitter on day one. So it's just amazing what things excites people right now. Ain't that but, the uh, truth? No, I'm, I'm super impressed with that. So I bet this next item uh, that you posted on the blog excited lots of folks as well, huh? It did. This was my baby. This is my first real feature we've shipped. Um, and it was driven actually by a bunch of requirements uh, internally by LinkedIn, who obviously Microsoft acquired. And um, they were moving from Gmail to Outlook. And they had vendors or like SaaS providers that were connecting to them. And where Gmail had this requirement of being able to fetch people's mail without the need for access to the body or to attachments in the email. And they wanted to have the same level of granularity of access when they migrated to Outlook. And so we initially kind of, we, we knew that there was requests for granular consent, but it made it easier to do this with an internal team um, because we could get all their requirements and push those through. And so we now have mail.readbasic, which essentially is same as mail read, um, except um, it really only supports get messages rather than doing search capabilities or extended properties capabilities or the body or the attachments. So there's a few definite um, limitations of it, um, but that's intentional. Uh, we know that many companies would rather consent this mail.read basic than it would mail.read and, and, and limit and restrict what access SaaS providers have. And so this is one of you know, the first ones we're doing on now, the mail endpoint, and we'll continue to gather feedback on user voice of what, what other permissions we need to do more fine grained. Um, but this was the most obvious one. And, um, it's definitely been a, a journey as a, you know, coming from a, a, a marketing world and being an architect to the, I mean, Affluent was a large ISV, but this touched so much of the graph architecture and permissions and, a code base that's 20 years old to go do this stuff. And so it was really interesting working with the, the architects in exchange to understand the complexities of putting this permission scope all the way through their stack 
and then surface that on the graph as well. So yeah, it was exciting to be part of that. Well, I'm I'm glad that the the work was done in the concept of there's plenty of other similar requests that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe I want a, a smaller scope of things in SharePoint or a smaller scope of things in Teams or Planner, for example. So mm-hmm. having some, uh, you know, prior art, so to speak, in within the graph organization, I'm hoping can help lead to better or, or quicker, you know, uh, resolution of any other requests that come through, I guess, right? I'm, I'm sure you yeah. have a bunch and, that are come through. And we're totally aware of the, you know, to-do planner, teams, groups, you need group rewrite all, and it has to be admin consented for it to work. Like we know that's a, a big brick wall for us. Um, there is work ongoing with that. And that one is even more complex. Um, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. And, and as an example of the complexity, like I was shocked in teams when I added a a security group to a team thinking that I could manage the security group and that wouldn't therefore manage the team, but it exploded the security group to individual members as soon as I added it and doing some research internally, like, yeah, we're not quite there yet with this stuff. Like there's a lot of under the covers work that needs to do to join all these systems together. And it's part of that that is requiring the fact that we have this admin consent need as well. Um, So it's definitely a journey we're on. And I think that's the difference between three-year ship cycles and doing what we're doing. Like we're literally building the plane as it's flying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, I look forward to more, more stuff on that. So that's great. And um, now I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, obviously we're recording this in mid April and earlier in the month, visual studio 2019 came out and there is a, a whole ton of content we can post about that. But I found a blog post from Mads Christensen, who is the master of visual studio extensions. And he posted some, some, uh, top tips, little tips that are great inside visual studio 2019. So we'll include that link in there. Uh, I've downloaded visual studio 2019 at run side by side uh, it's it, the the thing i noticed most is that the color code of the the keywords and the function names how it's, it's better I, I don't know how to describe it but th- that's a little thing that i would add in there that the the color coding is different and obviously the visual studio launch had a bunch of recordings scott hanselman i know walked around campus and stole a bunch of soda cans uh, and uh, <laughs> some great videos on that so you can certainly watch that but that's a, a nice thing to see about visual studio 2019 now the visual studio extension that eric and i worked on doesn't work on 2019 yet but that will happen that fix will happen soon but uh, uh, um, nice to see the Visual Studio moving forward. Have you played with it yet? Yeah, I'm, I'm using it for the session I'm doing, one of the sessions I'm doing a build. And um, I've noticed the coloring. Um, I'm colorblind. So um, I've found it's a lot easier in my eyes seeing the different syntax kind of highlights in the code. Um, I also was amazed how quickly it installed. Historically, that thing has been a dog. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people use Visual Studio Code <laughs> is because it's so lightweight. So that was a nice touch. Um, and then in addition to that, I have started to see IntelliCode actually do more than just show me the, you know, like here's everything within this class or this property and actually star things that are, uh, are commonly used. So that was, it, it's pretty cool. It does definitely help you out. That's for sure. <laughs> 
I don't think I've used it enough for it to get intelligent enough about my code or my code is so bad that it's not intelligent. <laughs> one, one of those two, I have not yet seen that. But again, in mid sprint, I haven't changed over my, my primary environment. So good stuff there. Me and, me and Daryl are very jealous. If you haven't watched Scott Hanselman's video, we're extremely jealous of the user research laboratories that the um, Azure SDK team had. Um, We've been joking about how we could set one of those up in our hallway. Um, but yeah, the fact they have dedicated rooms and teams is pretty pretty incredible. So, so there was one other big item that came out of the uh, Office 365 marketing group. Uh, you want to touch on uh, our uh, developer subscriptions? Yeah. So the developer program has been away on for a while, actually. It was something that uh, colleague Sonia Kopchev actually started, I mean, must've been in five years ago now. And yeah. there was a lot of legwork to get that off the ground and get agreement on budgets and stuff to um, have this um, benefit as part of you signing up for the dev program. And um, the team that run it now have done a great job of growing this and the value of the dev program outside of just getting a free tenant. Um, but one of the nags around the tenant was, is that they expired. And so essentially now these subscriptions will not expire as long as you are using them. And so obviously we don't want tenants sitting there spinning cogs, costing us money if they're not being used. And so there's a bunch of um, machine learning going on in the background in these developer tenants to understand um, what activity you're doing in, to, in the benefits you get from the dev program. And if you're leveraging it, then they'll absolutely stay on. Um, and if you're not, then we'll notify you and let you know that they're going to be switched off. And so this is a big, big step forward for developers. And there's a ton of uh, new promotion around this. If you go to graph.microsoft.com now, um, in the top navigation, uh, the developer program is is listed there. So we're, we're getting hot and heavy, making sure that everyone is in this dev program. And uh, there's some really cool things coming around the developer program profile pages as well, where we'll be able to personalize your experience depending on what kind of dev you are and what things you work work on within M365. So it's pretty exciting stuff. I agree. And then I have a couple of user voice requests for those real quick or things to point out. When you go to dev.office.com, you'll want to log in. And then in the in the top nav, there's a dashboard link and that'll take you to this uh, area where your profile matters. Uh, so content, if you say I'm interested in Teams and SharePoint, uh, they'll push Teams and SharePoint articles to your dashboard. So that's one place to go there. And then um, for, for most people, most developers, I would imagine, right, we've talked about the Graph Explorer before and your new Postman collections, and we don't want to do those things in our production tenant, right? So this is a great opportunity to, if I'm poking around with Postman or or the Graph Explorer, let's log in with these developer tenants. So it, it, there's no excuse to be testing things in production anymore. So um, certainly is worthwhile. And I've already got mine, uh, and I actually put a, a custom domain on it because uh, I, I listened to Rich Zariga say, don't type on Microsoft.com so many times in your life. So yeah. it, it's a full tenant and it went through the full onboarding experience. So it, it certainly is. A so did you just go to GoDaddy or something and buy one? No, I, I have. Well, I have a, a few domains that uh, I use. So no, I didn't do GoDaddy. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not wild about their administration pages and there's some 
Office 365 lock and stuff that they do. And I was afraid of. So I use Namecheap and spent ten dollars on a on a handful of domains a while back. So I just popped one of those in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, so. you can get to the dashboard from graph.microsoft.com as well. And so the first time you launch it, um, it'll ask you for your preferences on what products you're interested in, what technologies are interesting. So definitely click Microsoft Graph. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then what languages you're interested in. And essentially what they're going to be doing is um, promoting events near you, promoting videos that are relevant based on what you uh, I've said that you're interested in so that, you know, if you didn't check the SharePoint box, you won't get spam with the hundred videos of SharePoint that gets cranked out on a <laughs> weekly basis. Um, and, you know, as samples get shipped that are C sharp interested, you know, you're going to see those things. So it, it's very cool what they're, what they're doing there for sure. So this week, um, speaking of SharePoint, right, I actually sat down with uh, some dude who's been around in SharePoint for a while. Uh, Andrew Connell graciously gave me a half hour of his time and we talked about all things SharePoint framework. <laughs> and so we aren't going to cover money, commu any community. Jeremy, and I aren't going to cover community content this week because we have a whole slew of links about other people discussing SharePoint framework 1.8. Um, but AC was gracious enough to give us, I want to say it's not titled good, bad and ugly, but we did talk about things we like, things we don't like, uh, things that we can improve or can be improved in SharePoint framework. And so uh, we certainly have a thankful to him for his, uh, his participation this week. It's always good to get him on the show. And if you aren't already subscribed to his Microsoft Graph Cloud Show with my buddy CJ, you, um, you should definitely be listening to that show as well because they do a great job of covering kind of the Azure cloud space as well as Office 365 as well. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of good stuff this week and uh, hopefully it makes up for a little gap we had as, as life gets crazy for the two of us. So uh, um, hopefully jam-packed, uh, almost an hour-long episode this week and uh, look forward to getting any feedback you guys have about uh, the content we've been pumping out. And uh, a call out to folks. There's a topic you want to hear. It'd be great to to get that in front of us the, with this. Uh, I would imagine with this big event coming up soon, there might be a, a product group or two who might want to get the message out. We can certainly reach out to them. And by we, I mean, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, I'm already on it. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. So, but it'd be great to get something. And, and I'm inspired listening to AC talk about the PNP stuff that he's, you know, he's part of the core team now and there's just so much in there that he's can't even keep up with it. It'd be nice uh, for us to help spread the word. And if there's interest, you want interested in the community or you want things you want to share, we're happy to, to reach out to either one of us and we can certainly give you a bigger voice. If you've got some interesting information, I'd love to talk to more developers about what they're doing cool bring it on let's get these guys on teams and get interviews cranking out that would be great cool. all right well good to see you and i hope the build doesn't kill you it, it won't it will just make me stronger <laughs> <laughs> sounds good we'll chat next time cheers buddy well this week on the podcast is andrew connell how you doing andrew doing great paul how you doing I'm doing well. And in case there's one or two people out there who don't know who you are, we always ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, mom. Uh, so my name's Andrew Connell. Uh, I'm a uh, longtime listener, uh, first time caller. Uh, 
So I've been a SharePoint developer. I've been in the SharePoint space for 15 some odd years. I think it's like 16 years. Um, I don't recommend doing it for that long. So if you're just getting into it, you got some space, <laughs> got some headroom there. But uh, I've lived through all the different dev models. And uh, my big focus now is, I, I my big focus is on the SharePoint framework. And um, specifically, I do a lot, mostly like content uh, training type stuff, um, learning modules and stuff from Microsoft. Uh, and then, but my primary focus is uh, recording an on-demand video course for SharePoint framework uh, that's targeted to web developers, both those that are new to SharePoint, those that are experienced uh, or seasoned SharePoint server-side developers, and uh, also web developers just looking to get into it for the very first time. So uh, I do that through my business, uh, Voitanos. That's what my, my normal day looks like today. That's great. Obviously, uh, you've, uh, you and I have known each other for a wee bit and been doing training for quite some time. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to get you on, not so much because we were trying to expose someone to new technology through the podcast, but now that the SharePoint framework has been out for some time, I wanted to get uh, an outside opinion of how, how do we think it's going? What is it good? Is it bad? Calls to action of those kind of things. And and so let's, starting with all that, let's start with, as you said, you have an online training course. And so uh, first of all, what is the link for listeners who haven't been there yet? How can they get to that? Yeah, absolutely. So the course, you can get to it at voitanos.io. That's V-O-I-T-A-N-O-S.io. Uh, and I'll be more than happy to, to share a bunch of links with you guys for the show notes. But you can get to it from there. You can get to it from, if you go to my blog, um, andrewconnell.com, you'll find it there. Or uh, also, you, you can find a link to it from the podcast I co-host. This is actually a treat. I get to be on the other side of the podcast and not run the show today and just be answering your questions. But um, yeah, I, have a, I also run a podcast with a, a a co-host delinquent named Chris Johnson um, that we, we do a weekly show as well. But yeah, that's the, that's the best place to find it. I mean, we, the course is, it's absolutely gigantic uh, right now. I, I'll be honest, I made a mistake when I announced what the course was going to be. And I, I defined the scope to be much bigger than it should have been um, at least from the get go. And so I'm, you know, I guess, quote unquote, I'm on the hook to deliver what I said I was going to deliver. Um, which I'm doing and it should be, I should be finished with it, completely finished with it in May or June of this year in 2019. Um, but yeah, it's, it's available in a couple different uh, bundles. I've got a fund, I've got a starter bundle that's free. That's three chapters. I got a fundamentals bundle, which is good for those of you who just want to be productive. Um, and then an ultimate bundle that has everything that fundamentals has plus um, nearly twice the amount of content in it. It's mostly for developers who are, I guess you could call them enterprise devs um, who want to do things like unit testing and real performance stuff and content or CI and CD and um, things like that, uh, or working in a team environment. Plus it's got more things like a forum, a user group that they can get involved in uh, monthly office hours, all that stuff. So it's been, it's been going well. This is, this is going to be fun though, because I mean, like what you just said, uh, I definitely have a good, bad and an ugly story uh, on the SharePoint framework to give you my, my unbiased opinion here. Yeah. So that you introducing your course is a great way for us to, to say the, the uh, clearly you've kicked the tires in many different corners, right? So I've done some SPFX work. I've done quite a bit of demo code. And as a shops likes to say, all I ever write is demo code, but I, when it comes to SPFX, I, I, my experience hasn't been nearly as vast as others. So this is a great idea. And so the first question is, do you like the SharePoint framework? Absolutely. Yeah. I really like what they've done. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on it a little bit. 
um, from the beginning. At the beginning, I was a little, I wasn't as positive on it as I am now. Um, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, years ago, I'm trying to remember when this was, I think it was in 2013 or 2014. I used to, um, uh, I co-founded and ran a, uh, another training business called Critical Path Training with uh, Ted Patterson, where you and I were both teaching there for a while. And after that, I kind of decided, I was like, you know what? I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. Time to do something different. So got rid of my Windows machine, got rid of, um, stopped working on .NET, switched over to Node.js, got a MacBook, uh, and really started doing more things that were all just JavaScript and TypeScript based and, and like Angular and all that. And um, I actually got somebody at Microsoft asked me, I was, I built a course on, on doing a single page app, um, with angular, uh, on, uh, that I published on Pluralsight and somebody at Microsoft, I'm sorry, doing that inside SharePoint and somebody at Microsoft asked me to, to come over and speak at their conference, their internal conference called tech ready on how to do that and just kind of see how things worked, um, from doing it in a different approach from the server side dev way. And, when, when I was there, some people from Microsoft showed me kind of what the plans were for the SharePoint framework or talked, not showed me, but they talked to me about it. And, you know, one thing led to another and I just kind of thought more about it. And I was like, you know, I need, I'm trying to find something new to do. Um, I personally love the education space. I love content. I love building content. I love teaching. I love explaining things to people. I get my energy from seeing that light bulb go off in somebody's or go on in somebody's head. <laughs> I don't like to shut it off. That usually is a bit demotivating. <laughs> um, but it's, I like to, uh, I, I like to, I, I like to see that. And I was like, you know, what, what kind of training thing can I do? And I didn't want to do a direct compete with, you know, the, the with Ted, the people I, I worked with before because it does, that wasn't really you know appropriate. And I want to do more on the video side. And I thought, you know, I know the SharePoint stuff and I have an, I have like an audience. I know how to talk to SharePoint developers, but now that I see where the SharePoint framework is going with like Node.js based tools and Yeoman and uh, Visual Studio Code and TypeScript, and I'm thinking, you know, the vast majority of the people who are server side SharePoint devs are going to be lost when this stuff comes out. And I'll be completely frank. I also thought that the way that Microsoft was explaining it, that people were getting even more lost. So I was like, you know, I've been, this is the world that I've been living. So why don't I just kind of do a course on this and focus on it? And that, so that really is how I kind of came back to the whole thing. Now, to, to directly answer your question, uh, I did the political thing where I answered the question that you didn't ask because it was easy to answer. <laughs> um, I really like what they've done. I, I I think it is the right uh, the right approach and what we needed for SharePoint extensibility. Um, it took some time to get it to the point where we really needed it, and we're now seeing things like the adoption of the SharePoint framework as astronomical when you compare it to every other dev platform that Microsoft has ever had inside the office, uh, I guess, office domain. Um, and that includes farm solutions, sandbox solutions, server side, or uh, uh, what were they called? Uh, provider hosted add-ins, uh, SharePoint hosted add-ins, um, even like Microsoft Teams development and office uh, client add-ins. SharePoint framework is kicking the tail out of all those in terms of adoption. And it just is still going up. And so now you're seeing people like the Microsoft teams team, you know, showing how we can surface SharePoint customizations as a team's customization. We can, we're going to, you know, we've seen them talk about, we haven't seen this yet, but we've seen them talk about and show early demos uh, on the patterns and practices calls of using uh, the same SharePoint customizations as an office add-in. And so more and more people getting on board with this. 
to me, uh, it really shows that this dev model is going to be around for a long time. And it's, it's all, I will also say the part that I think is incredibly refreshing is seeing how responsive and how much they act on Microsoft's engineering acts on the feedback that we provide them and how fast they act on it. In the past, that wasn't the case. I mean, I've been doing this 15 years. You've been at it too for a while. A lot of times our feedback falls on deaf ears, not because they don't care, but because they're in a position where they can't do anything about it. And with this short, you know, iterations of, of releases and stuff, they can do something about it. And it's, uh, it really is refreshing. I, I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Now the listening to you talk about that, there's a one thing that pops into my mind. And I think part of the adoption, well, a couple of things, number one, who is actually instrumenting how well adopted on-prem farm solutions were. So there were no numbers in the beforehand, but now part of what this kind of entails is that the customizations that you can do in SPFX are pretty different from what we used to do back in the day. We, mm-hmm. we could build a whole application inside of SharePoint, right? Because it had everything we needed. Whereas nowadays we typically don't. So is that a good thing in your mind or a bad thing? I think it's, I don't think it's either um, to be honest with you. So I think, I think, I guess in my opinion, I think it's a good thing, but I don't, I, I I'm, I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth, a classic trainer, right? <laughs> should be a consultant. So it, I think, I think it's a good thing. And the reason why is because while we were able to do things, we were able to do so many things in the past, like, you know, write server side code that could work at the farm or the web app level or write custom timer jobs. When it came down to it, the vast majority or the vast percentage of the outages that SharePoint would have uh, in on-prem environments that were the biggest, you know, sev a you know, all hands on deck cases, the root cause usually came back to us. It usually came back to developers writing custom code because we could break our code would break and bring down the SharePoint process. And Microsoft went through a couple iterations of how could they, um, how, how could they do two things? One, how could they solve that problem? Uh, but then two, how could they solve the other problem where, building and and maintaining a SharePoint environment is an expensive proposition that was only really available to the larger customers or to the mid-market customers. So small businesses, tiny businesses, um, they couldn't use SharePoint because it was just too, it was cost prohibitive. And so the way to do that was to move it to the cloud and sell it as a service uh, in Office 365. So that helped with the management of the product uh, that helped that, you know, put the responsibility on Microsoft kind of funny watching them go, Hey, look, this thing is really hard to manage. Look at all these, let's go with this minimal men DB role. Like, Oh really? I mean, now you, we've been telling you that for 10 years and it's uh, once they felt the pain, then they saw that, okay, now we move it to the cloud. That's great. But the problem is that all the old ways of the stuff we did, we couldn't do that same stuff. We couldn't build custom timer jobs because if we blew up the SharePoint process, we'd be the noisy neighbor and my code could take down your environment. So they tried different ways of doing this. They tried sandbox solutions. They you know, realized early on, these are too limiting. They're not going to give us what we want. And they tried the add-in model, which was great. But the problem with the add-in model is it didn't, it didn't address the, the problems that customers kept running into. And so uh, people were developers were, kind of, they they were left to figure out the best way to get their own stuff done. And what Microsoft found was that the vast majority of things that people were doing, they were doing client side 
um, scripting. They were using things like jQuery, um, the stuff that like Mark Anderson and Mark Rackley would show you how to do on using jQuery and doing custom CSS and doing DOM manipulation. And uh, with like the content editor web part and the script editor web part. And so to me, what I think that what Microsoft did is they, they, my, my uh, outside view of this, and I think they would tell you something similar is that, Hey, we tried a couple different approaches and while they work for all these scenarios, you guys don't like them and you're not using them. So we can tell that you are using what does work for you. So why don't we just take what is working for you, make it a first class citizen, give you a nice deployment model, fix the challenges you were having with it. And ta-da, you know, we give you the SharePoint framework. Now, of course, Mark Rackley is still pissed because he wants to use jQuery, but that's different. <laughs> well, that's yes, that's, that's, a whole, that's a different uh, episode of somebody else's podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the net effect, and I, I would, I would agree it's a good thing that we're, in effect, developers are being told if you're going to do some invasive, long-running, crazy code, maybe that should run on your server and not the SharePoint server. So I think at the end, we get to the good spot there. And so my next question is, right, obviously you talked about how you've been doing training and you've been training for a lot. So have you deployed web parts into a production environment or and is in a consulting engagement or something like that? And what's your experience in that? Yeah. So, um, my role is, a is, is kind of interesting here and we can, we can make, oh, we can make as many jokes as we want. I'm sure I'd love that you hear Jeremy probably making a joke when he gets, when he gets on, gets a hold of this recording where, you know, those who, those who do do those who can't do teach. Um, I do, I have, I done production, uh, SharePoint framework stuff that's rolled out in production. I mean, yeah, I have, I mean, I do. So I, I decided a, a couple of years ago, that, you know, what do I do? What is my sweet spot? It's more on the education and explaining and teaching. Um, it's not so much in the consulting side. And so I finally decided, you know, I'm not going to, I can't consulting and teaching are very hard to do hand in hand, um, in terms of schedules. And so I finally just said, done on the consulting side, let me just focus on the education side. But part of that, I do a lot of work with, um, with customers where I, I go on site and we do a private version of my class, but they always ask for, you know, can we do a, uh, can we have like some custom content around this one topic? And uh, just a little secret in the training business, you never do custom content because it, you know, nobody, everybody's like, oh, it's only going to be a day. I'm like, it takes a couple <laughs> days to build it. And they, they don't want to pay for that. But it's like, there's no. <laughs> so it's, it's always, it ends up just being a consulting day. And so I just sit there and I'm like, oh, I'm just buy my time. We'll, you know, you teach it like, we're going to treat it like teaching, but I don't have any deliverables, but we do like, you know, kind of paired programming, we build stuff out we roll it out and I keep in touch with them. You know, what are the most, what are the biggest challenges you're running into? What are, you know, the monitoring and doing telemetry analysis on the usage of the stuff that you do. And so I take a lot of those learnings out from the things that they're doing and that they've learned. And I apply that to my class um, and to a lot of like the writings and stuff that I do and, and, and presentations I do at a conference. So I guess, do I directly do consulting where I, you know, do deliverables that people roll out and put in production? No, uh, not explicitly, but I do it through my normal line of business. I don't like, we will build something together and we figure, you know, what is, what works in the real world, what doesn't. And then plus, I mean, I get, I do a thing with my, uh, with my students where once a week we do office or once a month we do office hours and they show up with their, what they're working on, uh, for half of it, we call it the hot seat and we all just kind of get together and figure out what's working, what's not working. Hey, we have this in production. Is this working in the real world? You know, like the whole 
Azure AD stuff, you know, yeah, we can make calls to Azure AD now. It's like, yeah, but I have multiple logins and now they're getting confused. And it's like, well, it worked great in my demo environment. <laughs> so you, know, you see those things and we kind of, we work through it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I feel like I still have a pretty good, you know, heartbeat on the production world. And so with that background, is there anything you're willing to share about, Hey, you should think of this type of stuff, or these are the kind of the pain points or, or items that we want to look out for, make sure you do it correct. Is there any easy top of the mind, uh, gotchas, if you will, that people should be aware of? You know, the one that I see the most, um, is, I think the biggest thing is that people who are a lot of people that run into the, are doing SharePoint framework development are people who don't have a web development client side, web development background, uh, very seasoned one. And I mean, this, this was my background before I even started doing SharePoint development. Um, I was a, you know, DHTML, JavaScript, HTML kind of guy. And then I went server side and then I kind of came back client side back to my roots. And the thing that I see people run into the most is that it's really easy to build something that works but unknowingly it's not performant. It really sucks on a performance thing. And it's kind of a double-edged sword in one sense. You don't have to worry about a lot of people using your component at one time because it's running client side. It's only going to run one time with one user, but you also want to make sure that that experience is good for, uh, for that one user. And so you need to think about, you know, page payload. You need to think about, how you're pulling data down. You want to think about caching things. You want to think about, you know, should I be bundling or should I be, you know, when should I be bundling? When should I not be bundling? Um, and I see a lot of those things. It's easy to build something that works, but then it's, it's really easy to also like, we'll sit down, I'll sit down with a customer. Like I did this just a couple of weeks ago where they were like, you know, can you just, let's just do a review of what we're doing and see what you can find. And I immediately, you know, popped open a couple of, a couple tools that I use and started, they start, we started going through their internet and they're like, what are you doing? We've never seen this stuff before. And it's like, I'm just looking for things that stand out to me as what most people don't see. And sure enough, you know, we could, I could easily spot them. Like something, this thing is way too big. Like, what do you mean? Why is it way too big? I'm like a three meg bundle is too big. Like what should be the right size? I'm like less than three megs. Let's take a look at this. Right? <laughs> we'll figure this out or things like, you know, pulling down, you know, Hey, I can, I can use the SharePoint rest API to pull down 500 records and let people page through those. I'm like, do you really have anybody that's going to be paging through 500 records at once? Like it's those kinds of things. That's the stuff that I think people don't realize that just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it just because you bought this awesome Porsche doesn't mean you should go mudding in it and going off road. It's not made for that. And there's ways that we can get, there's things that we can do to make things work better. The Porsche analogy probably doesn't work there, but that, that makes sense. And so, you know, you mentioned bundling and, and that kind of reminds me of what I've seen as, as a, a, con, a big confusing item is that I get all this node stuff that I have to use and I can get a sample. It says, okay, I can include Office UI fabric and I get a mega a bundle of too big and I can pick one or two components out of that. And so I guess part of, part of what I've seen is that the SPFX library will help us do bundling of some kind, but it's not quite ready yet. So can you give us a little idea? What, what is that thing that's coming that might help in that specific scenario? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a, it's a, this is a big topic. And I think that there's, there's really two or three different scenarios you can run into. And it really, it, of course, I mean, I'll pull the consultant thing out. It depends. Uh, it depends on what you're doing. Um, so like if you're the, the ideal or like 
the platinum thing you always shoot for is, Hey, we're in office 365 SharePoint online. So we're hitting stuff on, um, we're, we're from our company network over to 365. So you have internet access. So let's just focus on that scenario. Um, let's say you build something that has, that's using a couple external components. So maybe you're, I mean, you're using, let's say you, you built it using react, which is pretty common. Um, that's already on the page. You don't have to worry about externalizing that because it's already externalized for you. And it's not going to be part of your bundle. And for those, of you know what we mean when I say bundle is that it's the part bundling is the process of when you build your project, there's a tool. It's better to have one big file than like, it's better to have one big 100 K file than 10 10k files. It's faster on performance. And so we have a tool that we use that's, that's baked in, uh, into the SharePoint framework called Webpack. What it does is it looks at the first entry file and it says, I'm going to run through this and everything you import, I'm going to go jump to that file and then do the same thing, pull everything in that he uses and then so on and so forth. And that way, number one, everything that's a dependency of what I'm running is going to get loaded first. So I don't have a missing dependency on my stuff runs. And then two, it's going to make sure that everything is in one file. Well, sometimes that if I'm using like say moment, uh, which is a popular, uh, NPM uh, package for date formatting and is also very heavy. It's very, very, a very big library. Um, Sam using react, Sam using fabric react, uh, which are the office UI fabric controls that are implemented using react as like reusable components like lists and dropdowns and all that. Uh, and then let's say you're using another, another component, um, I don't know, let's say a uh, moment and uh, see react. Let's just use those three. So if you didn't know what you were doing and you just built your project, then all of those things, except for react, all of those things are going to get sucked into your bundle. And so even though you wrote this really simple web part, you look at the payload and it's like, why is this thing like two megs? And the reason why is because you have the way to, you know, to externalize and say, don't down, don't include moment inside of my bundle. Instead, reference it as a CDN. And so pull it separately down. And then once it's down, then you can load my web part. The benefit there is that the user will only take the hit one time, but they may already have moment from that CDN reference from another site they were using. So it's actually cached already. Now that pro that's ideal. What you would probably want to be going for is to externalize all of these different libraries to make sure that they're going to be pulled from external CDNs. But in some cases, that's not going to be available to you or the best option. So maybe there's some cases where you don't have internet access. So that's like, I've got some people that I've worked with um, that are um, the United States Department of Defense. They can't uh, do stuff outside. Um, they can't pull stuff from an outside network. Um, so they have to internal, they, they keep it as part of the bundle or they create their own internal share of these things. Uh, another case though, is like when you need to maintain a control over the version history. And so like the fabric react guys, they've got a really poor track record of introducing backwards breaking changes um, and not having things backwards compatible. And so what the SharePoint team did and rightly so they finally got sick of everyone complaining to them saying, you guys got to fix this. It wasn't really their fault, but the way they dealt with it is they just said, include those things inside um, of this, of your project. So that if you're using a, a button from the fabric react or using a dropdown list, then include those inside of your web part 
uh, bundle. And yes, it's going to make your bundle a little bit bigger, but you're not going to all of a sudden have a customer call you up and say, Hey, my stuff is broken. Why is it? You're like, it's not my fault. Now, the cool thing is, is that you still may say, well, yeah, but I'd still like to externalize that because there's a couple controls that we use all the time, like the dropdown control or the list control or the button or the toggle. And we have this new component type that we can create as a SharePoint framework project called a library component. And that effectively is like the server side implementation of a DLL or the client side implementation of a DLL. So you would create your package, have that get imported in, and then you would then deploy that library component to your SharePoint tenant. And then in the SharePoint framework in your web part, you would say, I'm expecting this component to be on the page or this, this library component, the same way you would, if you said, I'm expecting the at Microsoft slash SP HTTP package to be on the page to do SharePoint rest calls. Um, so and SharePoint will make sure that, that stuff gets loaded on every page. So I'm trying to cut you off there, but is that like, let's say I have a specific way that I want to implement a persona card in my organization because we're pulling a certain attribute from the active directory. And so if I want to pull in a persona card and customize it in a specific way, I could create that as a bundle and then give it to all my other devs and say, use this instead of the persona card. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you would be able to build your own like custom react component that uses the persona, but then the properties you pass in are like, I think the properties that like the persona uses are like, uh, primary text, secondary text, tertiary text. And maybe you want to call them email phone number, you know, mail mailbox stop or something like that. And you could do that in your component and then tell everybody to use this. And now you, you control the rendering for how it's everybody's yeah. going to look. You didn't have two people transposing primary and secondary. And the buzzword I learned at the summit was those are uh, high value components. So there you yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah. High value components. <laughs> so, you know, and in talking about fabric and, and components, it reminds me of one of the, the most recent strike against the framework that I hear is that that's the versions of TypeScript and fabric and SPFX can be a bit of a mess. And, and me being a server guy, I don't know how to solve it. I just know there's a lot of chatter. So, <laughs> I, and, and of course, uh, on the, the recent calls, you know, they said they're going to fix it and I'm sure they will fix it because the, I'm sure the Microsoft devs are struggling with that as well. But I'd like to hear your, what, what other warts of SPFX do, do you wish that or will be worked on? Yeah. So I, let me do that in two pieces because um, first the thing you just mentioned, it is fixed. Um, that's what's cool. It's fixed in production now. And the problem we are running into was that when, when you have an opinionated framework, like the SharePoint framework, you are tied to what they take their dependencies on. And so in the past they said, we use this version of Fabric React. We use this version of TypeScript to build everything. We use this version of X, Y, and Z. And back in the day, they used this version of the .NET framework, even though everybody else had moved on. So this is not a new problem, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we, I remember we were back on you know, .NET 2 or .NET 3, ASP.NET 3 in one version of the Share, of SharePoint server. And everybody's like, when do we get four? It's like, Jesus, man, we just got that. <laughs> we just got three. Yeah. Um, so we were always like four, three, four years behind. We couldn't use ASP.NET and NBC, all that stuff. So the same, the story was still true. And the, the challenge that we had was that Microsoft, the build engine, the build tool chain that they had created had dependencies coming from different parts of the company. There's a client side development part of the company that does a lot of the client side build tool chain and the SharePoint framework guys just leveraged what was already there. So they didn't build that. Um, the challenge was though, is that, you know, they want to use the latest version of 
uh, Fabric React. Well, you couldn't do that because the latest version of Fabric React, version six, required you to use TypeScript three or higher. We were still in TypeScript 2.4. And so it was just this weird mix of like, we were stuck with these different versions. And the cool thing is, is that in the in 1.8, the SharePoint framework 1.8, which got released, I think, oh gosh, just a couple, like maybe three weeks ago, <clears throat> very recently, um, they decoupled the build engine the version of TypeScript from the build engine. And so now with some specific, you can do some specific things to use a later version and it allows you to use a, a more recent version of Fabric React, it allows you to use the latest version of TypeScript if you want. Um, there's, it's a, it's kind of complicated how you do it. You basically use this thing, there's a special kind of compiler or not special kind of compiler, use a, a compiler package that they have and you need to get the specific one for the version of TypeScript you want. So there's like a 2.7, there's a 2.9, I think there's a 3.1 and a 3.3. Um, and so you get a specific version of what's called the Rush uh, compiler. I think it's called Rush Stack compiler. And then you also get the version of TypeScript that goes along with it and you make one little change to your project and all of a sudden you're using the latest version. I can give you a link to um, a blog post that I wrote that actually shows you how to do that. So that's one. Um, now, what are the other warts? So it's funny because I have, <clears throat> you know, we were just at the MVP summit and leading up to it, I really wanted to write a blog post that I ran out of time to do because I wanted to write a blog post that I published so that I didn't say things at the summit and learn things and then have it influence another blog post or that, that if I had written after the fact, they could have said, Hey, that was NDA. We told you some stuff. I'm like, ah, shoot. So I can kind I have to be kind of careful what I say here is I'm always, I always forget like, you know, what do I want and what have they told me is going to get fixed? I'm like, ah, so <clears throat> I think for me, just in general, the, the, the biggest things that I wish that they would do is I, and they've heard this and I think that they'll, they're going to, they're doing something about it this year is that, I really wish that they would, number one, every time we do a release of the SharePoint framework with a new tool chain, there's issues right out of the box. We find them, I mean, the communities finds them within like two hours. That's gotta get, that's gotta get cleaned up. We can't keep running into this. I mean, it's, it's some stuff is really stuff that should have been found and, and just, it's, it is just, it's clearly a, uh, a lack of testing on their side. Like, there was some server side stuff that if you were doing something with SharePoint 2019, you create a new project, you immediately have to go in and make some changes to your project before you even try and build it because it's not going to work. Um, that stuff should, should get resolved. And I also wish that they would finish some of the stuff that they started. So I think that the, the, the team has a bit of a knack, the team being the Microsoft SharePoint framework engineering guys, they have a little bit of a knack for rolling out a feature and saying, here's what you'll see in the future with this, but then never doing anything with it. So a good example of this is when they rolled out extensions, which are, you know, we have application customizers, command sets and field customizers. Well, I mean, application customizers came out and everyone, the first thing everybody said was we need more placeholders of things to call out, put on the page. And they're like, okay, we'll evaluate that. It's like, well, that was almost a year and a half ago. Or, the field customizer comes out, which is like a replacement for JS link. And it's like, Hey, you know, now I can go through and customize the rendering of a cell inside of a SharePoint list on the read only mode. Sweet. What about edit? Oh, that's coming. That was a year and a half ago. Where is it? So I think it's things like that. I wish that they would just kind of stop 
And instead of adding more widgets, they make the widgets more robust. That to me, that's the big thing that I want. And then there's a lot of low hanging fruit issues that have been out for a very long time around documentation of things that are not, it's not documentation that's inside um, the docs, but it's actually inside the framework. Like, I mean, a really simple one is that if you go in to go modify the icon that's used for a web part, if you're on the web part manifest and you go to the office 365 icon for it and you hover over it, it says, here's the link for where you go find the, the icons that you can choose from. That link is dead. It's been dead for like a year and a half. I've had that issue, you know, logged and it's been flagged as a bug. I'm like, yeah, we agree. We'll get that fixed. I'm like, it's been a year and a half. I mean, this is a link that you can just change. So but yeah, yeah, well, that's a common thing I think across Microsoft is, you know, new features and then, you know, the, whoever, the guy in charge or the gal in charge moves on and no one else picks up that other feature. And, you know, we've seen it like taxonomy and publishing has suffered those same fates over the years as well. So those are all great ideas though. I'd love to do that. And now the, um, the last thing I, and I, uh, I, sorry, if the time is getting too long, but real quick, I wanted to, you mentioned the community finds things. And so you recently have joined the PNP core team. So as part of the community efforts. So thanks for that. And so is there anything that, uh, it's interesting that you see out of your, your side of the PNP that folks should be aware of. Uh, yeah, well, man. So I tell you, the one thing I've, I've realized is that getting into PNP is that there is so, <laughs> there's so much stuff to it. It's like SharePoint. That thing is so damn big <laughs> that you can't even wrap your arms around it. It's like, Oh, you're in PNP. So you must know about the, the PowerShell stuff. I'm like, no, man, I got a Mac. I don't touch PowerShell. <laughs> um, so it's, I think the, the big things that I would look at around PMP specifically, you know, around what we're talking about today around, around, um, uh, SharePoint framework, there's some stuff coming around CI and CD with Azure DevOps. Um, it's not out right now, but that's a work in progress. That's really cool. The stuff that Chris Kent has done around list formatting and row level and column level formatting is really cool. Um, the stuff that they've done that is, the stuff they've recently done around the provisioning portal, I think is just like, this is something that we look back way back at. It's like having, you know, ALM APIs for the tenant scope depth catalog and getting a site collection scope depth catalog. It's stuff that we've needed for like six years. And it took, now that we have it, we like take it for granted. The provisioning portal is this site that Microsoft hosts and they just, you pick a template and this template can go and you get, you have access to your, uh, your tenant and they can go create a brand new portal based off this template or this new SharePoint site collection for you. And then go add all this content to it, web parts, pages, um, all these customizations, uh, company name, they can do all this stuff for you. And this is, it's really cool. There's a lot of, and that one, and then there's a modernization or a transformation tool that they've got that takes a uh, classic pages or a classic site and can migrate it to a modern site, modern pages and modern lists. Um, it's all stuff that has to be done programmatically, but it's these really cool community-based projects that are PMP stuff is community-based. It's all free, but it's, and some of it I think is funded by Microsoft but the thing that's important about it is that all everything that they publish has been vetted by Microsoft's engineering to say, yep, we agree. This stuff's cool. Even though it's not something that's coming out of Redmond. Right. And, and won't be supported. You can't open a support ticket on those as well. But some of the stuff I've seen is actually, you know, Microsoft folks have pitched in as well. So it's, there's nothing wrong with the quality of code. It's just that you're taking it on and live with it yourself. So that's great. And, and you mentioned a couple of topics are for crossover listeners, or I hope I knew with the Chris Kent was on a 
couple episodes ago talking about his and uh, and on the provisioning side we had bob german on uh, previously to talk about provisioning around teams so we'll certainly uh, invite you to go listen to those podcasts if you haven't done that so this has been wonderful. I really appreciate the time. And in fact, the, the, we probably could have talked for hours and hours and hours uh, as we usually do. So um, is there uh, anything that calls to action or, or last uh, items you'd like to get in front of folks while we got their attention? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I guess I try out the SharePoint framework. There's some, if you've never, if you've never played around with it, we've done, um, I've done some work with them where uh, there's some uh, really good training resources out that are good for you just getting started with it. Uh, if you go to aka.ms slash SPFX, SPFX dash training, um, there's a handful of modules that get you up to speed on it. If you want to go with some more enterprise style stuff, that's got a lot more content. Uh, it's not so much of the reading side, it's more video based with a, to- a ton of code downloads. You can check out my course. Um, I've got a couple different resources. There's some free resources. I've got an email based course uh, that will walk you through over the course of 10 days. That's free. Uh, understanding the dev tool chain. I've got a free video course that uh, goes on from that, that explains what the SharePoint framework is and walks you through getting your dev environment set up. That's free as well. And for your listeners who uh, are interested in trying out my course, uh, happy to give you, to, if you use the, the discount code M365DevPodcast, uh, more than happy to, to uh, extend a 25% discount uh, to, uh, to all of your listeners as well. So it's, I mean, that's the places I would all go to go jump in and get started with the, um, uh, with the SharePoint framework. I mean, if you want to find me, I'm easy. I'm at Andrew Connell on Twitter or andrewconnell.com. And, uh, my business Voitanos is just at Voitanos or Voitanos.io. Thanks very much. And look forward to meeting up again in person. Absolutely. Good to talk to you again, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 